This program is a paid commercial announcement produced and paid for by Jacob Media Partners. No statements made during the Thrive Retirement Roadmap Radio Show shall constitute tax, legal, or accounting advice. You should consult your own legal or tax professional on any such matters. Information presented is for educational purposes only and does not intend to make an offer or solicitation for the sale or purchase of any specific securities, investment, or investment strategies. Investments involve risk and, unless otherwise stated, are not guaranteed. Be sure to first consult with a qualified financial advisor and or tax professional before implementing any strategy discussed. David Bazaar, Brent E. Lim, and Karen Bazaar of Thrive Financial Services and Thrive Capital Management are licensed to offer investment advisory services through Thrive Capital Management, LLC, a Pennsylvania State-registered investment advisor. Office headquarters located in Fort Washington and offices of convenience used exclusively for client meetings in Exton, Yardley, and Cherry Hill. Now on Talk Radio 1210, WPHD, WPHD, WOGL, HD3, Philadelphia. The Thrive Retirement Roadmap Show with your hosts, David Bazaar, Karen Bazaar, and Brett Elam of Thrive Financial Services and Thrive Capital Management. They know that the road to a successful retirement is paved with consistent care and a commitment to guide the families they serve. David and Brett are co-authors of the book, Roadmap to Retirement, Navigating Your Way to Peace of Mind. The Thrive team has been recognized by Suburban Life Magazine and Philadelphia Magazine as one of the area's top wealth management firms. They've been featured in numerous publications such as the Wall Street Journal, CBS News, Fox, NBC, and ABC as well. But their greatest accomplishment yet is their ability to talk to people just like you about living out their dreams in retirement. Their phone is always open at 800-516-5861 or visit thrivefinancialservices.com. Now, here's David, Karen, and Brett, along with Joe Krause. And a good Saturday morning, everyone, and welcome into Roadmap to Retirement, the radio show, as we come to you on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. I'm Joe Krause. All is well in Philadelphia as the Eagles got a big win over the Packers on Thursday night. Very special show for our listening audience today. Uh, we're going to allow you to ease in and ease drop into the Tax Revolution Summit, which was held on Wednesday at the Doubletree Suites in Plymouth meeting. And it absolutely incredible night uh the speech from marty ruby the guest speaker was about an hour in length and the purpose of this program is to allow you to sample what the full house experienced uh, on wednesday night i do want to take a moment to thank all members of the Thrive Army, who came out in full force as the room was packed uh, for the event, Thriving in Retirement, the Tax Revolution Summit. After this opening segment with Marty, I'll tell you how you can get a full version of the uh, Wednesday event. All right, tonight, I want to show you how to do three things with your retirement savings. I want to show you how to save hundreds of thousands of dollars in taxes over your retirement years. I want to show you how to generate thousands of dollars more of income from your existing retirement savings. And I want to show you how to lower risk. Now, would you agree if I can do all three things at the same time, that'd be pretty remarkable. Okay, well, keep an open mind. I'm not as funny as Brett, but I'll I'll try that. But... Keep an open mind. I'll show you exactly how we're going to do it. Uh, as Brett mentioned, I'm, I'm an actuary. 
Does anybody here know what an actuary is? Have you ever heard of an actuary? Well, that's not where they bury dead actors. That's not what an actuary is. <laughs> they, they do say, there's actually another actuary in the room right now. They're, they do say we're the CPAs without the personality, which is probably a little closer. Uh, but no, we're the kind of the, the numbers geeks of the insurance industry. We're the ones that do the statistical and probability studies. We're the ones that uh, kind of create new products and so forth. And for virtually all of my career, I've been involved in, again, what actuaries are trained to do, measure risk, figure out what those risks are, and then figure out ways how to eliminate risk. And my focus for my career has been in the retirement savings market. So for 47 years now, I have thought about, designed products for, run companies for retirement savings. Now, uh, the last insurance company I ran, we sold about 15 years ago, and I formed my own company called Stonewood Financial. And the idea behind Stonewood is to use kind of this deep insider knowledge of what really goes on behind those cold steel gray doors of a financial institution. But rather than using it for the financial institution, I use it for the consumer. I'm the author of two books. Uh, my first book, uh, called The New Rules of Retirement Saving, was written for younger people, people who are still saving. And I talk a lot in that book about traps they can avoid, particularly when it comes to taxes, how the money is, be is growing, and so forth. Then I realized after I wrote that book, I'm not saving anymore. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of at that age where my savings years are behind me, and I start thinking, you know, I made some mistakes. And I think when I go through tonight, you're going to realize all of us may have made some mistakes about how we saved money for retirement. So my second book, which is what tonight's talks about, the No Compromise Retirement Plan, and all of you will get an opportunity to get a copy of this book later on. But that's about what do you do now that you've saved, most likely in a 401k or an IRA plan, tax deferred, where you put money in, you deducted the contribution when you first put it in. But now, as I'm going to show you in a few minutes, you're sitting on this, what I call ticking tax time bomb. Because all that money you've saved through a 401k, an IRA, you owe taxes on now. So my second book, The No Compromise Retirement Plan, kind of gets into that, if you will. And the premise of the book is when we, because of how most of us have saved through these tax-deferred plans, we are forced to make compromises. And I'll focus on three tonight. One is this kind of compromise between growth and protection. Now, typically, when you start out saving, you're told, well, put money in the stock market, let it grow longer term, but there's a lot of risk in that. So as you retire, the theory is, okay, now I've got to start taking risk off the table. I can't afford another 2008. When the market dropped 37%, I don't have time to make it up. So I start going into safer <coughs> instruments, CDs or money market accounts or, or high-grade corporate bonds. But the problem is in today's market, there's very little yield on those because interest rates are so low. So you have this compromise. Do I take growth in the stock market and accept a lot of risk, or do I try to protect my assets and give up all the return? So that's one of the compromises that we're going to talk about tonight. The second one is one that I've thought a lot more about recently as I've gotten older, and that is this compromise between what I call income and legacy. 
And when you think about it, if, if we've saved through a tax-deferred plan like an IRA, it's a zero-sum game. Every dollar that we spend is one less dollar that we're going to be able to leave as a legacy. Well, here's the problem. You know, our parents lived through the Great Depression, the greatest generation. They knew how to tighten their belts. We don't know that. We're not that kind of generation. We're the me generation. We like to spend money on ourselves. And so you get this kind of tension or compromise you got to make. Do you try to hold back on some of that spending and leave something as a legacy? Or do you basically spend down all your assets? And the third one, which Brett kept on talking about, I'm going to talk about it the most, is the ultimate compromise between what we keep of our retirement savings and what the IRS gets. So we're going to talk a lot tonight about taxes. So let's start with a client of mine, Alan. By the way, I don't know if uh, Brett mentioned, I'm from Louisville, Kentucky. So uh, he's a client of mine in Louisville. I don't know if people have been to Louisville before. It's the home of uh, beautiful horses and fast women, they say. That's okay. <laughs> Like I say, I can't tell jokes like Brett. <laughs> All right, so uh, Alan's a client of mine. He's 66 years old. And he's retiring this year. And I think like many people, here's been Alan's history. He started out working, uh, obviously in his 20s, and he was told, you save in the company's 401k plan. There's no really rhyme or reason. It's just that's what people do. So he signed up for it, put money away. Uh, he switched jobs. So he rolled that money into an IRA, did that over again, switched jobs again. So now when Alan's ready to retire, he finds himself with most of his retirement savings in an IRA, tax deferred, hasn't paid any tax on it yet, but he's now looking at the future and seeing what, what kind of he's gotten himself into. So let's kind of go through with Alan, again, these three compromises. How does he grow his money but still protect it in a low interest rate environment? How does he provide for himself and his spouse, but also want to leave a meaningful legacy for his kids and his grandkids? And finally, Alan, among with everybody else in this room most likely, very much concerned about taxes. So let's start with this growth and protection. Now, I hope everybody can see this. This red line represents the total return of the S&P 500 from 2000 to 2018. Now, the S&P 500 is the 500 largest stocks in the United States. When people say, well, how did the market do today? This is usually what they mean, the S&P 500 uh, index with dividends. So people say, well, Marty, why did you pick this period from 2000 to 2018? Well, I thought it was a pretty representative period. We had two big bear markets, the dot-com bubble burst in the early 2000s, and of course, the financial meltdown of 2008. And we had two bull markets, including the one we're in today, which is historic. It's the longest bull market ever in Wall Street. Uh, great stuff there from Marty Ruby, who spoke on Wednesday night as part of the uh, event that Thrive Financial put on. We've been talking about it for six to eight weeks, Thriving in Retirement, the Tax Revolution Summit. If you want to get a free, full version of the Wednesday night symposium, 1-800-516-5861, 1-800-516-5861. We'll go back with Marty Ruby after the break.
And back here on Roadmap to Retirement, the radio show, as we come to you on a Saturday morning here on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. Shout out to David and Karen Bazaar, Brett Elam, and the entire Thrive Financial Services team. They collectively as a unit, collectively as a team, put together Thriving in Retirement, the Tax Revolution Summit. And my friends, I was there to watch as a spectator and absorb and see all of what was taking place uh, up at the Doubletree Suites in Plymouth meeting. It really was uh, spectacular. I'll bring you now more uh, of that event on Saturday night with special guest, Marty Ruby. We had two big bear markets, the dot-com bubble burst in the early 2000s, and of course the financial meltdown of 2008, and we had two bull markets, including the one we're in today, which is historic. It's the longest bull market ever in Wall Street history. So despite all this volatility, we're nearing all-time highs in the market. Any guesses of what the average annual return has been of the S&P 500, basically the stock market, the last 19 years? Any guesses? One at a time. Nine or eight percent? Any others? Come on. I'm not charging you. Five? Well, one person got it. If this is a price is right, you can't overbid. 4.86%. And people a lot of times are kind of surprised to see this number. They kind of said, well, I thought the market, you know, historically returns nine or 10%. But the fact is, at least for the last 19 years, it's only returned 4.86%. But it gets worse than that. Because if you're saving in a 401k or an IRA, a tax-deferred plan, not all that return belongs to you. Remember, you still have to pay taxes on all that growth. So I'm going to use an average tax rate of 25%. Understand if most of you live in Pennsylvania, your IRAs aren't taxed, still got to pay federal tax on it, but not state. Maybe if you've made the trip over here from New Jersey, you, you have to pay even higher taxes. But let's assume 25% for the moment. So that 4.86, a quarter of that belongs to the IRS. You will pay that. That's their share of your return. So maybe the 486 after tax is more like three and a half. But it gets worse. Because if you're in any kind of a, of a savings instrument, there's fees, there's expenses. So let's say it can average for a 401k, a percent and a quarter, depending on just what you're in. The fact is that that 486 after fees, after taxes, is probably less than 3%. Not horrible, but the point I, I like to make to people is that's reality of how the market behaves, that for 19 years now, if you've been saving tax-deferred in a 401k or an IRA, maybe you've netted by taking risk maybe 3%. Well, here's the theory. As you get older, you retire, you have to start taking risk off the table. You've got to start drawing down this money. It has to be more predictable. You can't afford a 2008 when the market a collapse by 37%, you don't have time to make it up. So you start moving into safer instruments. Now, I don't know if any of you recall, but our parents, their retirement strategy was to buy CDs. They'd buy a two, three, four-year, five-year CD. They'd ladder it. They'd roll it over. They'd get their 4 to 6% interest on a very safe kind of savings instrument, and they were done. Well, we can't do that. Not in our world. 
Because, as you know, interest rates are record lows. And in fact, I kind of like to get up on my soapbox on this because I've been following interest rates literally for, since 1972 when I graduated college, started getting focused on retirement savings. And what happened in 2008 is, of course, we had this collapse worldwide of our financial system. And the Federal Reserve, along with every other central bank in the country, in the world, slammed down interest rates to zero. The idea was to nurse back the financial system over time uh, with low interest rates. Well, at least in the US, by about 2011, the system had kind of recovered. It's now 2019. We still have record low interest rates. I believe, to me, our central bank, the Federal Reserve, along with all the other central banks in the world, are, balance, are kind of nursing back the financial system on the backs of savers. If you're a borrower, it's a great time to be borrowing, right? Interest rates are low. Apple, Apple Corporation has $200 billion of cash on their balance sheet. Last month, they borrowed money. Why would a company with $200 billion of cash borrow money? Because rates are so low. But if you're a saver, very different kind of implications, right? Because now you're struggling saying, what do I do? I want to protect my assets, but I have, I have nowhere to go. In fact, it could get worse. One third of the world's fixed income assets today, uh-oh, somebody didn't follow the rules. Uh, one third of the, uh, the assets today in fixed income assets around the world are negative, negative interest rates. Now, it's hard to wrap your, your kind of mind around what that means. But basically, if I lend you money, you're going to charge me for that privilege. Has it hit the US yet? Some people feel it may, but that's where it is. So what I've kind of thought about and come to the conclusion is that, you know, when will, quote, rates return to more historical levels? Well, when you think about what's going on today, we are running, we're back to trillion dollar deficits. Remember when that used to be bad, you know, several years ago? Now they just happen routinely. If you look at the actual reports of uh, Social Security and Medicare, demographically, they're not, they're not looking too good. So here's my question. If the Fed ever did raise interest rates, well, what that means is they raise interest on the, on the debt. If they raise interest on the debt, what happens to the deficit? It goes up even higher. My point is, I believe we have kind of painted ourselves as a society in a corner. We're going to see, I believe, for the rest of our lives, very low interest rates. And the implication here is what I call the saver's dilemma. We're going to have to struggle during our retirement years with this dilemma. Do I go for higher risk and go for growth and be in the stock market? Or do I go for protection and give up all the yield? And one of the things I'm going to talk about tonight is people have got to address this saver's dilemma. It's not going away. We can say we can kind of wait it out, wait for interest rates to come higher so that we can buy safer instruments and get good returns. I'm not sure we're going to see those days come back. So we got to kind of deal with this saver's dilemma. All right, let's talk a little bit about income and legacy. The second compromise I talk about in my book. Now, you know, Alan, along with uh, most of us, kind of think about how am I going to use this big pot of retirement savings in my retirement years? 
And he has, you know, the day-to-day -day living expenses, the things that you know when the year begins, I got so many dollars I'm going to spend. Medical costs, out-of-pocket. I put a little statistic up here. The studies have shown that for a healthy 65-year-old couple, their expected out-of-pocket medical costs, Part B Medicare premium prescription drugs, long-term care, is going to run about $400,000 over their lifetimes. Now, I give this talk a lot, and one question I always ask people is, who in this room has reserved $400,000 out of their retirement plan to pay for medical costs? <laughs> Two hands. Well, I'm amazed. Usually I get zero. Three. Okay, I now have three more than I've ever gotten. So uh, the fact is, for most of us, I know I haven't, I haven't really thought about the fact that a good chunk of my retirement savings at some point are going to have to go for out-of-pocket medical costs. And then you have kind of the unplanned, the, uh, you know, you want to take an extra trip, buy some more things for the grandkids or whatever. And as we roll along here on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT, looking back to the summit on Wednesday, a reminder, go to thrivefinancialservices.com. That's thrivefinancialservices.com. Scroll down to the middle of the page and you'll get an update on all of the workshops scheduled for next week as we move in now uh, to the first week of October. More in a moment on Roadmap to Retirement, the radio show. Welcome back, everyone, to Roadmap to Retirement, the radio show on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. Again, shout out to all members of the Thrive Army. We love you uh, and really appreciate you not only tuning into the program, uh, but wow, if you were in the room, everybody came out in force for the special event uh, on Wednesday, including myself. It was great. Uh, to be there. Uh, it was great to learn about RMDs. It was great to talk about money and conflicts with money in your IRA and your 401. All of the educational conversations that we've had on this program kind of all came into focus on uh, Wednesday night. So the purpose of this morning's broadcast is to give you a sample of what you may have missed if you weren't in the room on Wednesday. I kind of look at all of us having this big IRA account, this pot of money. And a good chunk's going to go to our normal day-to-day -day living costs. Another chunk's going to go to the uh, medical, to these out-of-pocket out of medical costs. A third to unplanned. And because of how we've saved through an IRA, by definition, the balancing item's legacy. is a zero-cost kind of deal. Whatever dollar you and your spouse spend is one less dollar for legacy. Now, here's the problem. What if one of these other three categories is higher than what you expect? Well, it's only one place for it to come out of. So again, for people who are thinking about the kind of legacy they're going to kind of leave behind, you have this compromise. How much do I spend during my retirement years? How much is left as a legacy? But this pie is very deceptive. It's actually quite smaller than it seems. Now, why is that? Everybody always gets this one. It's taxes. So let's now talk about how taxes can dramatically impact the amount of money you have left to spend in your retirement years. All right. 
Uh, this is a disclosure just like Brett had his own. I know you're all speed readers, so you've already read that. <laughs> all right. Here is Alan's, and here's everybody's really theory. When you put your money in a tax-deferred plan, like a 401k or an IRA, the theory is that when you put money in, you deduct it at a high tax rate, let it grow, and when you're ready to start spending that money, you're in a lower tax rate. Economically, that's the only way that tax-deferred savings makes sense. You've got to be in a high tax bracket when you put the money in, and you're in a low tax bracket when you take the money out. Now, here's a problem for Alan and actually for most of us. When you retire, do you want to take a pay cut? Again, we're not our parents. We're not going to pull in our belt. In fact, studies have shown that people need more income when they retire because they have more time to do things and more time to spend money. So the question for a lot of us is, did this really work out right? In fact, I will tell you, when I've been saving over my career, many years, I've been in a lower tax bracket when I put money in and deducted it than when I'm going to be taking it out now. It worked the opposite. But it gets worse. Alan, or Brett asked the question, do you think tax rates are going to go up in the future? Now, I will tell you, he, he kind of stole my thunder a little bit because I always ask the question, I say, I'm going to take a poll. And so far, probably having addressed 7,000, 8,000 people over the last year and a half, I've not had one person disappointment. And then I ask the question, does, does, do people think in this room that tax rates in the future are going to be lower? And so far, I have not been disappointed. Nobody's thought that. So we are really dealing with what I think is going to be a real tax crisis. And if you have earnings, if you have money, that you've saved through an IRA or a 401k, you're going to be having to spend a lot of that on taxes. So let's think about how could taxes be higher in the future than what we've planned for, what they are today. And one way I talk about in my book is you could move into a higher tax bracket. Now, for most of us, that's probably not going to happen. Once you're retired, you're not going to have this big surge of income. But the second one could. The tax bracket rates could go up. Now, let's, let's talk a little bit about that. In 2018, new tax law came into effect, and we had lower tax rates. If you're a corporation, your tax rates were permanently reduced from 35% to 21%. Permanent reduction. If you're a person, an individual, like anybody in this room, your tax rates did come down. However, unless Congress acts, the three scariest words in the English language, Unless Congress acts, those rates by law will automatically revert back to the higher rates prior to 2018, beginning 2026. In other words, people talk about taxes are kind of on, sa in, on sale right now. This is what they mean by that. We have a window of five or six years that tax rates are, are lower, but they will, by law, go up starting in 2026. Now, it gets worse than that, and I always avoid talking politics in my talk, but the fact is there's going to be a lot of pressure for politicians, whether Republican or Democrat, to raise taxes in the future. We talked about the deficits, the Social Security issue, the Medicare issue, and Lord knows everything else. So the fact is that for many of us, we're going to see it's kind of a, a negative tax arbitrage. We put money in 
when tax rates personally for us may have been lower, but when we start taking money out, we could very well be paying much higher taxes. In other words, the tax deferred angle worked to a disadvantage rather than an advantage. But there's a couple other ways you can pay more taxes. One is you can lose some deductions. Now, this was a great part of the new tax law. Tax rates came down, but what Congress gave us, Congress took away to some extent because you lost a lot of deductions. For example, uh, state and local taxes. There's a limit on those deductions. And Pennsylvania, I know, has been hit pretty heavy by that. Well, you don't care whether you're paying more taxes because of higher tax rates or less deductions. The fact is, it's an easy way for Congress to raise more tax revenue in the future by eliminating more and more deductions. And finally, my favorite is new taxes. I call them stealth taxes. Let me give you two examples. For those of you on Medicare, as you know, you pay a Part B Medicare premium every year. That premium is determined, the level of that premium, by how much income you report on your tax return two years prior. And every year it's adjusted. So the more income on your tax return, the more Part B Medicare premium you pay. Now, if you're Congress, you're saying, well, you're not being taxed higher, you're paying more medical premium. But if you're a normal human being, you're saying, wait a minute, the more income I earn, the more I'm paying to the government, it kind of smells like a tax and looks like a tax. It's a tax. Second example, Social Security. The more income you report, the higher percentage of Social Security you're taxed on. So here's my point going forward. Every time you have a dollar showing up in your tax return, it triggers other payments. And again, it would seem to me a pretty easy thing for Congress to say, let's raise some more tax revenue by having these other payments that are dependent on your income, but they're not calling them taxes. It's a real, a real threat, and here's the thing, let's relate it back to IRAs. Every dollar you spend out of your IRA, where does it show up? On your tax return. So what happens to all these taxes? Or these payments, I won't call them taxes, they go up. So again, this is why I call an IRA a ticking tax time bomb, because all these things are, could be triggered by the income you're reporting in your IRA. And that's for a long time. That's not just we're worrying about 2026. Let's say you're 65 years old. You could live another 30 years. You have this kind of tax exposure for 30 years now. And by the way, actuaries don't like risk exposures that long. So here's a problem I talk about in my book. Most of us, including myself, have saved this way tax deferred. We put money in a 401k, a 40, uh, an IRA, a 403b, a number of instruments out there. And we make a deduction that year. We don't save taxes, we defer taxes. There's a big difference. Because as that money grows and we're ready to start spending it in retirement, we are taxed on both what we put in and all the earnings over the years. I contend at least part of our retirement savings should be in what I call tax-free. A Roth is an example of this, a Roth IRA. You use after-tax dollars to fund the instrument, but all that growth, never, you never get taxed on. Part of the problem, I believe, is how people, their IRAs are reported. Now, this is Alan's IRA statement, and it says he has $500,000 in his IRA. 
Well, I hope by now you realize he does not have that much money in his IRA. Because once he starts spending that money, again, assuming a 25% tax rate, it's only worth $375,000 to Alan. The other 125, where does that go? To the IRS. Now, is the IRS good at collecting debts? All right? They're pretty good at that. Well, I would contend an IRA is an IOU to the IRS. That's really what it is. Because there's no way to get money out, whether it's you or your heirs or your spouse or whoever's going to end up spending that money, it's got to go through a tax return before it does it. So this is, I, I believe, one of the problems with people being encouraged to save tax-deferred. It, it's great when you're growing the money because you've ignored the fact you owe this debt to the IRS. Now, the reason I want to bring this up is because later on, I'm going to talk about some solutions. And the solutions are going to involve paying the tax you already owe today while it's smaller rather than letting it grow in the future until it becomes bigger. So I don't want anybody here to say, well, Marty, you're causing me to pay taxes. You already owe the tax. If you saved in an IRA, you already owe this tax. The question is, are you going to pay it now when it's small, or are you going to wait and pay it later when it's larger? And don't forget, if you want to get a copy of Thriving in Retirement, the Tax Revolution Summit, you can get it in one of two ways. You can go to thrivefinancialservices.com, and there you will easily be able to uh, connect with David, Karen, or Brett, uh, and they will make arrangements for you to get a copy. You can get a copy of Marty Ruby's book uh, by calling thrivefinancialservices.com. The number 1-800-516-5861. We'll have more in our final segment on Talk Radio 1210, WPHD. And welcome back, everyone, to Roadmap to Retirement, the radio show. While I feel like I'm solo in studio to deliver today's show, I am right in the middle of bringing you what Thrive Financial Services created uh, this past Wednesday up at the Doubletree in Plymouth meeting. It was a spectacular night for a jam-packed house. Uh, Marty Ruby was the guest speaker. An interesting quote from uh, off of the show page, pataxsummit.org. The great aim of education is not knowledge, but action. We spend so much time, David, Karen, and Brett spend so much time educating the Thrive Army and educating our listeners uh, on this program. Wednesday kind of brought everything collectively uh, together. Here's the final segment with Marty Ruby. So it really gets down to a question for retirees. And unfortunately for us who've already saved, it may be too late to affect what we did in the past, obviously, but when should I say when should I pay my taxes? And conceptually, should I consider a Roth kind of IRA? Use after-tax money to accumulate tax-free. Now later on, I'm going to talk about what I term a Roth IRA on steroids. But for now, this is kind of the question. So about three or four years ago, I started to think about what have I gotten myself into by saving tax deferred? And I asked myself a very simple question. How much taxes, because of how I save my money, how much taxes will I owe over the rest of my life 
because I know every dollar in my IRA and every future earning, I'm going to have to pay taxes on. So I did some internet research, and I could not find the answer to that question anywhere. But the nice thing about being an actuary is I don't have to rely on somebody else's model, I'll just make my own. So I literally did that. And I looked at three different sources of taxes that my IRA is going to cause over, the next, over my lifetime. The first is whenever I take a distribution, and I know that's going to get taxed. Now, if you talk to your CPA, the first thing they'll tell you is, well, if you want to reduce your taxes this year, don't take money out of your IRA. Not very practical, but at least it, it won't, it'll reduce this year's tax. But eventually, at age 70 and a half, there's something called a required minimum distribution. You must start taking taxes by law, or taking distributions by law, out of your IRA. Now, why do you think the IRS wants to force money out of your IRA starting at seven and a half? They're saying, hey, we've been patient all along with you. It's time to collect now, okay? And in fact, there is some $15 trillion of IRA money that's just waiting to be taxed. It's a pretty big target, isn't it? So I'm going to say for the purpose of this first model that we're going to look at, I'm going to wait as long as I can, but it's seven and a half i got to start taking money out of my IRA, called a required minimum distribution. By the way, some of you may have read there's talk about a new law that's going to extend that age to 72. Does that make this, the situation better or worse? It makes it worse. The more money you earn while you're waiting, the more tax you have to pay. Anyhow, but for this, I'm going to use seven and a half for this model. Then I said, let's be simple in our assumption. Let's assume we're going to pay our tax on our RMD, and then whatever's left, we're going to reinvest in a taxable asset. Because once I'm out of my IRA, I can't shelter my income anymore. So I get taxed on that every year. And finally, when I die, whatever's left of my IRA, my heirs have to pay taxes on. Now, this one confuses people a little bit. Because I've had clients say to me, well, Marty, I thought when you, when you die, there's no more taxes due. And I say, no, you're thinking about estate taxes. And for most of us, we don't have an estate tax problem. However, for IRAs, there is always income tax due, no matter who owns that IRA. So, true story, I have a, a good friend of mine who's an attorney. He's a client of mine. His name's Walter. And uh, Walter came into my office a couple years ago and said, you know, my, his dad had passed away. And his dad had left him and his two brothers a million-dollar IRA. So he's going to get a third of that. And so Walter is moaning and groaning and complaining. I said, Walter, what's the problem? You've just inherited a third of a million dollars. He said, you don't know how much tax I'm going to owe on that distribution. He didn't view it as a gift. He viewed it as a tax burden. And that's what struck me. What kind of a gift, what kind of a legacy is leaving money through an IRA? I mean you're leaving people with a tax bill. They now have to pay tax on that money. But it gets worse than that because you got the benefit of the deduction when you were saving the money. Now they have to be stuck with the tax when it comes due. So the analogy I give is, let's say I'm invited to your house for dinner and I bring a nice bottle of wine and I'm about to hand it over to you. But before I do, I say, will you pay me the sales tax before I give you this wine? Is that much of a gift? How does that make you feel? All right? So I believe that if you're thinking about leaving money 
or just the fact that you've set it up so you leave your IRA to your kids, it's really not much of a gift. It's a gift with strings attached. And by the way, they're taxed on those distributions at their tax rate. Who knows in the future what those rates are going to be? But it gets worse. Because generally, when a, a person dies, the first of, of two spouses, the money goes to the surviving spouse. Now, here's where it gets really bad. While both spouses are living, you're filing a joint tax return. The year after the first spouse dies, that same pot of money, the exact same pot of money, is now going to be taxed as a single taxpayer. The tax rates go up significantly. So I would say as a legacy, an IRA or any kind of tax-deferred account is a very tax-inefficient way to leave money. And I think you really got to think through for your surviving spouse filing a single tax return, again, you're wasting a lot of your savings on paying uh, Uncle Sam. So, here's what the model looks like. Now, uh, the Thrive uh, uh, team has access to a lot of reports I've developed, and later on I'm going to tell them how they can run these for you. But this is one of my reports. We're taking Alan, he's 66 years old, and assuming he has a $500,000 IRA, 25% tax liability, our model can assume whatever you want it to. We assume that Alan's going to stay at that 25% tax rate, even though everybody in this room thinks tax rates are going up. Let's just be generous and say he'll stay there. We assume he's going to grow that IRA at 5%. Again, the model can use whatever rate you want to assume. When Alan reaches 7.5, he's going to start taking these required minimum distributions and pay tax on them. He's going to take that net after-tax money and reinvest it in a taxable instrument. And finally, we're going to have Alan live to age 90. So the question is, over the next 24 years, how many taxes will be generated by this $500,000 IRA? Here's what the report looks like. So the total taxes paid on just the RMDs, $164,000. As he reinvests that money, he has to pay tax every year, That'll cost him another $67,000. And because this IRA has continued to grow, his heirs now have to pay $106,000 on the remaining IRA. So over the next 24 years, Alan's $500,000 IRA is going to generate $338,000 of taxes. Does that number surprise anybody? Does that number disgust anybody? Yes. It disgusted me. When I saw that, I said, can this be right? Now, what I did was I, you know, actuaries don't make numerical calculation errors. It's not what we're trained to do. But let's say this once it happened. So I actually have a couple CPAs who are clients. So I went to both of them independently. I said, look over this model and tell me if I've missed it. They did, and each of them came back independently and said, no, this is IRS math. And that's going to do it for this week's edition of Roadmap to Retirement, the radio show. Special thanks uh, to David Bazaar, Karen Bazaar, and Brett Elam. A job well done uh, for putting on Thriving in Retirement, the Tax Revolution Summit. Again, if you want to get a copy, a full copy, including video uh, of the event from last Wednesday, call 1-800-516-5861. On behalf of David Bazaar, on behalf of Karen Bazaar, and on behalf of Brett Elam, 
and all members of the Thrive Army. I'm Joe Krause. See you next time, everybody. Thanks for listening to Roadmap to Retirement, the radio show, a Jacob Media production. If you're interested in learning more about the power of the radio hour, contact Joe Krause at 267-261-3428. This program is a paid commercial announcement and in no way represents the views of WPHT or its management.